0: felt like it went on for maybe 10 more minutes or so but in fact it had gone on for three hours the students who were there in the chapel service missed their next classes they sat there and sang together prayed together worshiped the lord together and word spread throughout the campus more students showed up more people started showing up, and for 16 days, people continued to meet there on the campus of Asbury University in what is now called the Asbury Revival. Now, you, you may not have been aware of that. I, I'm aware of it because every every time something like that happens, I get questions from people. Hey, did you hear about the Asbury Revival? What do you think's going on there? What's happening? And I've come to the place in my life and ministry where I don't feel compelled to have to answer those questions definitively. Somebody says, what do you think is going on at Asbury? And my, my response is, I have no clue. I have no idea. I'm not there. I can't see it. And, and, and truthfully, I have no way to tell you of what's going on and whether it's legitimate or not. I don't know. When we hear of a work being attributed to God, what is your response to that? How do you respond? And more specifically, for our purposes this morning, how can we know that God is at work? Don't we long for God to work? Don't you want God to work? I have that all the time. People, people will say, man, I, I'm just praying that God would do something, that God would work and move in our midst. I want that too. I, I ask for God to work. But how can we know that God is truly at work? How can we measure whether or not a ministry is of God, or if it's of man. What, what are God's measuring sticks? How does God measure ministry and effective, spirit-empowered ministry? How does he evidence that? While well, the text in front of us this morning does not give us all of the answers to that question, It does provide for us a framework for evaluating the work of God. That is because it focuses on a man named Barnabas. By the way, if you're having a baby, we have a lot of people having babies. I love that. I think it's fantastic. And we love hearing babies in our service. We love hearing the kids in our service. If you're having a a son, you might want to think about Barnabas. Ike, where are you at? You're having a a son, right? Barnabas is a good name. Barnabas is one of these heroes of the New Testament. I don't think that gets enough enough, uh, press. This text focuses on Barnabas as he is sent by the apostles in Jerusalem to a town far north outside of the borders of Israel, a town named Antioch. And he is sent there for the purpose of evaluating the work that is going on in Antioch and whether or not it is indeed of God. And so this text gives us some insight. What does God's work look like? How can we know this text gives us some help in identifying the work of God. So what did Barnabas see when he gets to Antioch? What did Barnabas find when he goes to Antioch? Look at verse 23. When Barnabas came to Antioch, coming to Antioch, he saw... The grace of God. He saw God at work. And it was God's work of grace. Here we have the work of God defined for us. It is called the grace of God. If you look at verse number 21 It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was doing this work. It's attributed to God's grace. Well, what did he find when he got there? When he got to Antioch, what was it that he discovered? He saw the grace of God. He saw the hand of the Lord at work. What was happening? He saw The message of the good news of Jesus Christ, the King, being proclaimed. That's what he saw. He saw the word, the word of the good news of God's kingdom established and mediated in his son King. He saw that word, that message being proclaimed. Look look at it there. In verse 19, start in verse 19 with me. This is a report, it's a description of what was going on in those days. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. You remember, Stephen was persecuted or killed, and that caused a great scattering of all those believers there in Jerusalem. As they, as they were scattering about, they were going about preaching the good news of Jesus. And they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word, the word to no one except Jews. But, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Now you'll also remember a few chapters ago, we had this word Hellenists, and this word Hellenist in that text was referring to Greek speaking Jews. In this text, it's not, it's not talking about Greek-speaking Jews, but just Greeks, Greekified people, Gentiles. And so there were some of these men, m- most of them went about preaching to Jews, preaching the word to Jews only. But some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. And what were they doing? Look at it there in verse 20. Preaching the Lord Jesus. That's what they were preaching. That's what they were proclaiming. I want to give you a summary of that good news. I'm going to go back to Acts chapter 10. We were here a couple of weeks ago. Go back to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, the apostle, is brought to a man named Cornelius to deliver to Cornelius this same message. So I think it's a good summary of the message. Look at it there in verse 36 of Acts chapter 10. Verse 36. Look what it says. As for the word that he, that is God, sent to Israel, as to the word... What is this message? What is this word? He sent it to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And you see what it says there? He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He was the anointed of God. The Old Testament we see the anointed of God is referred to as his king, his son, king. Jesus is the son of king of god we know that jesus is the eternal son of god but here we see that he becomes the incarnate son of god that means he put on flesh he is the eternal son of god who becomes the incarnate son of god to be declared at his resurrection the davidic son of god the king the rightful king The Lord of all. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing and all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Why did did they put him to death? Because he came in authority. He came exposing their sin and their love for their sin. They rejected him as their king. They rejected his lordship. And this is what Peter in Acts chapter 2 comes back and says, You saw who he was, but you rejected him. You killed him. But God, verse 40 But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Jesus, the anointed king of God, came to establish his kingdom, but he was rejected by those he came to save. And this is the beauty of it, in that rejection Christ died. He died for sin. He died for sinful men. Jesus is the anointed of God, the incarnate Son of God, who comes to offer a kingdom. But who will inhabit that kingdom? No one. No one will inhabit that kingdom because of their sin. No one wants Jesus in and of themselves. They reject him because they love their sin. But in his death, the king does something glorious. In his death, he dies for man's sin and he purchases their redemption. He frees mankind from their sin by his death, by his ransom paid through his death, so that Man can be free from sin to serve him as their king. He delivers the king himself in order to establish his kingdom, delivers and works the deliverance of man so that man can serve him as king. And in his resurrection, he is declared to be the Son of God, the king. And in his resurrection, he delivers from the power of death, giving total deliverance. And you see this message proclaimed there to Cornelius. Look at it, verse 42. He commanded, Jesus commanded us, Peter saying, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to do what? To be the judge of the living and the dead. He is appointed the judge of the living and the dead, the Lord of all the Christ. To him, Peter says, all the prophets bear witness That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the message that the men went about preaching. This is the message of the Lord Jesus that the men preached also to the Hellenists. So we see here something really important. Don't miss this. The work of God defined for us, the work of God must be faithful to the message of Jesus Christ as Lord. It must be bound to and centered on that message. God is not doing any other work upon earth than what is found in that message. He is declaring His Son, King, Lord of all, who He has appointed to unite all things in Him. That is what God is doing. And if we see something that claims to be the work of God, but is not lifting up Jesus in that way, it is not the work of God, but the work of man. The work of God is bound to and will always center on that central message that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord. And that, secondly, the call is to repent and believe on him. And that's exactly what you see. Look look at it there. Verse 21 The hand of the Lord was with them in their preaching. And a great number believing who believed turned to the Lord. Do you see it? We have both of these ideas there. What was the response to the preaching that Jesus Christ is the Lord? That Jesus Christ has died for sin and been raised by God again in victory? What is the response? It is repentance. Turning to the Lord and believing. That's what it says. And a great many believed and turned to the Lord. That's the work of God. We've been talking about conversion quite a bit lately. Remember how we're defining conversion. Conversion is the work of God in which he confronts a sinner with the truth, the reality of who Jesus is, bringing them to repentance and faith in him, which results in a complete reorientation of life. That is conversion. And that is what Barnabas finds when he comes to Antioch. The message of Jesus as Lord and Christ is being proclaimed and men and women are repenting of their sin and turning to the Lord in faith. The work of God will always proclaim Jesus as Lord and call men to repent and believe. I'm afraid that often we, in our desire to see the work of the Lord, we lessen or diminish or lighten our view of true conversion because we so desperately want to see God work and we change the biblical definitions of what it means to be converted. And that leads us to the, the third defining mark here we see has already been mentioned this work can only be the work of God's grace. It was God's gracious work. The men preached the message. They were faithful to the message, but the Lord's hand was with them. He is the one who opened the eyes of the hearers to see. He was the one who gave them the gift of repentance and faith. He was the one that worked there in Antioch. It was the grace of God. It wasn't manufactured. It wasn't manipulated. It was not man's ingenuity or creativity. It wasn't man's work, but the Lord's. The Lord Jesus had promised his apostles when he commissioned them. Do you remember what he said? Lo, I will be with you even until the ends of the age. And here in Acts 11, we see that that promise is also for those who carry the apostolic message. Not just for the apostles, but those who continue to preach this message of Jesus Christ as Lord. He is with them accomplishing his will. Do you desire to see the work of the Lord? I I was struck again, as I was reflecting on this passage and meditating on this passage, I was struck again by what our responsibility is in this work. What is our responsibility in this work? This work of the proclamation of the message and conversion, men and women coming to repentance and faith in Christ. Our responsibility is to be faithful in the message. To be faithful to the message. Proclaim it. Protect it as our singular message. I'm afraid we, we we get so many different messages that are good, but that are not the central message. A lot of good things that Christians set about doing, but that are not the main thing. We protect it by calling to repentance and faith, not accepting cheap imitations of conversion, not accepting cheap imitations as professions of faith. And, and here's, here's the responsibility we have protect the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and pray. Pray. Are we diligent in prayer for God to do what only God can do? Or are we convinced of our ability to accomplish what only God can accomplish? This is the most uncomfortable part to be honest with you, because we like to be in control. We have a good desire to see God work and, and we have a desire to be in control. We want God to do what we want him to do and we do not like to wait. And so we often will s- seek to take control Of this work to produce something, to create something, to, to manufacture something. I was struck as I was thinking again, just how often, how often we are so busy in ministry with things that do, that do not require the Holy Spirit. We are so busy in ministry with things that do not require the Lord's hand. We we like to produce our works. But our responsibility is is much more simple, uncomfortable, but more simple than that. We are to be faithful to the message. We are to protect that message through through genuine calls to repentance and faith in Christ. And we are to depend upon the Lord, praying that he would do what he alone can do. Have you, have you been stuck in a discipling relationship where it doesn't seem like the person is listening to the truth maybe a counseling relationship, it doesn't seem like the person's listening. Maybe it's a, a, an adult child who you so desperately want to follow the Lord and, and you cannot sit and wait because we've got to do something. I've got to move. We've got to work. Maybe even convincing yourself that, yeah, I, I think they, I see it. I see that they are following the Lord. It, you know, compromising our definitions. It's the Lord's work. How often do we give ourselves to prayer, waiting upon the Lord to do his work? And, and indeed, indeed, he does not always work in our timing, but it is the Lord's work. I want our church to be a church of prayer. I've had a couple of you come to me with some ideas about Praying together and how we can structure that and how we can do that. As a church, I want to spend time together just praying. In your discipling groups, in your homes, praying. I've been very convicted by that. Barnabas comes to Antioch and he sees the grace of God. And we have here defined for us what it looks like when God is working. He centers on this message of Jesus as the Lord in Christ, calling him into repentance and faith. And it is only his work. Do you know how impossible conversion is? It's impossible apart from the work of God. But then we see the work of God embraced. So we see the work of God defined when Barnabas comes and sees the grace of God. But then we're able to see Barnabas his reaction, his response, the work of God embraced, look at it there in verse twenty three when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad he was glad. now, I, I want you to understand what 's happening here. the center Of the Christian movement, the center of the gospel movement has been in Jerusalem with the apostles there. Barnabas is sent up to Antioch to see what's going on up there in Antioch. Is this something that we can endorse? Is this something that we can claim as a true work of God? And he comes and sees the grace of God and he is glad. Barnabas exhibits a genuine joy and gladness at the sight of God's work even though it's not happening in Jerusalem. It's happening somewhere else. The apostles aren't even involved. It's going on and he comes. Do you see there there could be a temptation here for a little bit of territorial, you know, prejudice. Well, you know, it's not really the apostles' work. They, they mean well up there in Antioch, but if you really want to be true and faithful to the work, you probably need to go to the church in Jerusalem. That's where it's really happening down here in Jerusalem. They're well-meaning up there, a little misguided, spirited perhaps. Isn't this how we act when we hear of things going on? Isn't that what we first thought when you hear about Asbury Revival? You go, eh. Probably not. That, that's how we respond, isn't it? Skeptical? Cynical? Are you cynical? I'm cynical. You do not even want to see my heart. I'm telling you, I am so cynical at, at the work of God. I have seen it. I have, I have seen people come into church so excited about serving the Lord and three months later, where are they? They're nowhere to be found. I've done that over and over again, been, been excited about somebody professing Christ and they're not there when you turn around a year from then. Man, I, I could be cynical and skeptical. Barnabas exhibited a genuine joy and gladness when he saw the work of God Do we have a cautious expectation that God is going to work? Do we long to see his work? Now, it's true, as I've already said, sometimes we have such a desire to see God work that our expectations turn into a lack of discernment. Sometimes we want to see God work so much that we lose our discernment. And we're, and we're too eager to embrace everything that has the label Christian. Okay, that's, that's definitely possible. However, I'm talking to us here. Those of which it's also possible to become skeptical and cynical or maybe even a little bit territorial. We make a joke and I, I this has become a, an inside joke with some of the elders at Faith Bible Church where we were planted out of. If you don't know that, we were planted out of Faith Bible Church up in Spokane. There was a time where the church library at Faith Bible Church, there were stickers or stamps put in all of the books that that theology didn't match up perfectly with the theology of Faith Bible Church. There were stamps and stickers put in all those books about well, there's some good stuff in here, but <laughs> it's covenant theology. That, that is not a gracious spirit. And I'm thankful to say that that spirit does not remain at Faith Bible. That, that has been worked on over years and years and years. That skepticism, that territorial reaction. Well, they're not really of us. They say some true things, but it's not ours. No, 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 no. We want a gracious disposition towards those in other places and other churches, even of other denominations, who are seeing the work of God take place. We want to see that happen. Isn't it? Isn't it what we want to see? Don't we want to see other churches and other places Experience the work of God in their midst. Don't we want to see that in other churches? Here in Spokane Valley, I heard about a, another church being planted in the valley a couple weeks ago. What What do you think my first response is? What do you think my first response in my heart is? Well, we already have a church out there in the valley. <laughs> Start a church in the valley. We got. I mean, we got. We have one. Why don't you come to our church? And then you stop and you say, No, 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 no. We can use a lot more churches. We want, we want churches to be planted all over the place. And, and churches will be, because of that, churches will be planted that I don't have any control over. I'm not going to get to craft the way I want them to be crafted. But I can rejoice over the work of God taking place in other places. And we want to see that. In Spokane, in our region, in our state, in our country... In our world, do do you have a vision for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you have a vision for that message to go out into every place? Do you have a, a gospel desire for our city? Or are we so focused on here that we have trouble rejoicing in God's work in other places? I could give you so many examples of this. When I was was pastoring in New York City, do you know how big New York City is? Metro area back back then, it was 2005, when I was, 2004, 2005, when I was pastoring in New York City. And uh, I was a young guy. I was a young guy, excited. I was convinced we were going to reach New York City. And so I... As the naive guy I was, I started trying to reach out to other pastors and say, hey, can we work together? There's 8 million people in the metro area of New York City. 8 million! Can we work together? Because this is a big job. The church I was pastoring had like 50 people in it. I don't think we're reaching all in New York City, but maybe we can work together. So I, I remember one time I went to a church in, in the south side of Brooklyn. Guy had a church about, he was leading a church of about 600 believers. Then I sat down with him. I was a 25 year old, 24, 25 year old guy. And I sat down with him and I just said, you know, he's an older pastor. And I said, you know, are there any other churches that we can work with? Any other churches that you know that are going on? And he said, no, no, we're the only church being faithful to the word. I didn't know much at 24, 25, but I, I did know that's a terrible attitude. I knew that by the Lord's help. <laughs> I just thought in the back of my mind, I was respectful, but I thought in, my back, in the back of my mind, I said, this, this is not the way we need to work together. If I really am convinced that this is the only place where God is working, what kind of vision is that of the gospel and the gospel's opportunity for our city we're not going to reach Spokane Valley by ourselves. We're not going to reach Spokane or Washington state or the world by ourselves. We want to work with others. And I I think you see that actually later in the passage, this church in Antioch at the end of the passage, they find out that the church down in Jerusalem is going to go through some difficult times. There's going to be a famine. And so what do they do? do? Do you see it there? Verse 29, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. This isn't for their church in Antioch. But everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. There is a Catholicity. We don't like that word because of the Catholic Church, the capital C Catholic Church, right? But there is a Catholicity, a universality that needs to happen between churches that share the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ as Lord. There needs to be a fellowship between us and a prayer for each other. And even at times a work together and a help of one another to help this work of God go forward. That, that spirit, the reason I bring that up, because I want to I see that work. I want to see that kind, of, that kind of spirit for the work of God. Cultivated here at Trinity Church. Let's pray for other churches. Pray for GCF Valley. Pray for Valley Bible. Pray for these other churches that are planted out here in the valley. Pray for churches in Spokane. This is what we ought to be doing. And ready and willing to work and aid. Partner with them as we can. Barnabas embraced this work. He was glad. But look at what else he did. Look at what else he did. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He rejoiced. And he exhorted them. He exhorted them. All to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The conversion of these people in Antioch did not conclude the work of God. Do you hear that? Listen, we're we're reaching that point in our service where people are starting to get warm and people are starting to get a little tired of listening to my voice. I try to vary my ups and downs, but sometimes I don't do very well. So we got to re-engage here. (coughs) Barnabas came and saw the work of God and was glad. And then what did he do? He exhorted them to do what? to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The conversion there of the people in Antioch did not conclude God's work. That, that, that That would be our tendency, wouldn't it? Wow, that was exciting. Isn't that amazing, that mass conversion? Wasn't that awesome? Man, I hope God does more of that. No, Barnabas understood that the message of Jesus' lordship has implications for life. It isn't just a message that you receive and then go on with your life. The message of Jesus' lordship has implications for life ongoing. And so he he exhorts them, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Devote your heart, devote the intent and the purposes of your heart to the Lord. Remain faithful to him. Set your heart's course on Jesus and remain ever devoted to Him. That old chorus, remember, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. But then what does it say? No turning back. No turning back. So we... we, we, are called to follow him and there is no turning back. The message of his lordship has implications for the reorientation of our life. I recall to your memory the teaching of the Lord, our Lord, in Matthew 13. You remember the kingdom is preached. The word of the kingdom is preached. The seed goes out. The parable of the the soils and the sower the seed represents there in Matthew 13 the word regarding the kingdom of God mediated in his son king, established in his anointed king. That's the word that goes out. And that seed is thrown out. It is sown in very various types of soil. Different people, different hearts, different motivations receive this word regarding the kingdom. And in some of these places there, there's a beginning of some evidence Of faith, sprouts that come up out of the ground. But when persecutions come and trials come and temptations come, that which seemed to be faith wilts, is choked out, and it does not last. Oh, that is. Such a timely word for us in our culture. It does not last. You see, those who persevere to harvest are the ones who are truly believing. True repentance and faith, true conversion is evidenced in remaining devoted in your heart To the Lord. That's what conversion looks like. Truly, this, this is important. The measuring of the work of God, the true measurement of the work of God is in the day of harvest. That is where we will see God's work truly evidenced. Though this exhortation that Barnabas gives does not kill the movement. It leads to further fruitfulness. That's what it says. A great many people were added to the Lord. But this exhortation to remain faithful to the Lord. and, and, And we're going to return to that in just a moment. But... That's the exciting work. When you see people remain faithful to the Lord and persevere through temptations and suffering and difficulties and they remain faithful to the Lord, that, that's exciting. But his involvement with the work there in Antioch doesn't conclude with his exhortation. We see the work of God defined there in Antioch. We see the work of God embraced in the rejoicing and in the exhortation. And then we see the work of God continued. The work of God continued. It doesn't stop there. Barnabas goes and finds Saul. You remember Saul? He was converted a couple of chapters ago in chapter 9. He's been busy, by the way. It's really cool if you look at the chronology of Paul's life and what he's been doing. He's been busy preaching the message of the kingdom. Barnabas goes and finds Saul. And brings him back. And it highlights the text. Two activities. Of Barnabas and Saul. As they minister to the church there. Look at what it says that they do. So Barnabas went to Tarsus. To look for Saul. Verse 26 now. And when he had found him. He brought him to Antioch. For a whole year. They met with the church. And taught a great many people. I really believe what we are seeing in this passage is a fulfillment of Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We see two things that they involve themselves with. First of all, we see that they taught a great many people. Matthew 28 the great commission given to us by the Lord. All authority, remember what it says in, in Matthew 28? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said. That's his lordship. That, that's who he is. He is the Lord. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, based on that authority, go and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. How do we make disciples? He gives Two ways to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is, that is remember baptism we, we believe is that public outward sign of repentance and faith. Baptizing them and doing what? Teaching them. That's the work of discipleship. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. A genuine work of God will not neglect the ongoing teaching of those who have professed Christ. It, it is not enough to get people to make a decision for Christ. No, we want to exhort them to endure and we want to teach them. Teach them to obey whatever Christ has commanded This is what Paul and Barnabas did. They taught for a whole year. They taught them, instructed them. Second, we see here also an emphasis on the gathering of the church. They gathered with the church. The work of God produced an identifiable assembly who met together regularly. This is what the work of God produces. A recognizable assembly, meeting together. The work of God produces churches. The work of God produces churches. Disciples who have joined together in mutual commitment to the Lord. To encourage one another, to exhort one another, to teach one another. That is what the work of God produces. Churches identified by the message of Christ. Now, how do I know they were identified this way? How do I know they were identified this way? Because it says it. Right there in verse number 26 at the end. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were called Christians. Why? Because their message was was, singularly, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Notice it says that the disciples were called Christians. Not not Christians were called disciples, but the disciples were called Christians. They were identified by outsiders as Christians because their message regarding who the Christ was. They were identified with Jesus as Christ, the Lord. The term Christian has fallen on tough times, hasn't it? How would you explain to another person what a Christian is? How would you explain to another person who asked you what a, what a Christian actually is? I fear that we have broadened the picture of what a Christian is to the point that the term means next to nothing. Where, where Jesus says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Do you believe that? Do you believe the words of our Lord who says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction? What what does that mean? Most people will not respond positively to the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is not the popular message. It will never be the popular message, not in America or any other country of the world. It makes me very nervous when a country says, this is our message and everybody believes it. To me, that's a little hard to believe. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. That's what Jesus says. Now we say, We say often, well, as long as you give a generic reference to God or use the name of Jesus or make a reference to Scripture, as long as you talk with confidence about your personal relationship with God, you must be a Christian. Scripture never talks about your personal relationship with God. That is never the emphasis. No, this passage tells us what a Christian is. Do you know what a Christian is? A Christian is a disciple of Jesus. Do you know what the term disciple means? Most of us will say follower right away, and and that's a good definition, follower, someone who follows Jesus. But, But really, the term disciple means learner. A learner of Jesus. A disciple learns his master. A disciple learns his teacher. That is what the word disciple pictures. This learning has two aspects for a disciple. First, it includes content. They follow a teacher around and listen to his teaching and they take on the teaching of that master, of that teacher. It's not less than content. It is never less than content. It is never less than propositional truth. Jesus said, go teach whatsoever I've commanded you. Teach them to obey it. Discipleship, a disciple of Jesus, learns what Jesus has said and commanded. He treasures the word of Jesus more than anything. But learning has another aspect. Yes, it is learning the truth. Learning the content. But a disciple also learns his master's way of life. A disciple has decided to die to self. And to put on his master. Both in content and life. That is what a disciple is. And that is what a Christian is. The disciples were called Christians. A disciple has chosen to end their life and put on the life of their teacher, wholly devoted to the Lord. I asked at the beginning, and... and, This is a a question all of us have asked. Is it a work of God? Is the Asbury revival a work of God? Can I tell you how I answer people that ask me that question? Mr. Funchess, because I teach and they always say Mr. Funchess. Have you heard of the Asbury revival? Is it a work of God? Here's my response. I hope so. I truly, truly hope so. I hope that it is a work of God because I long to see it. I want to see God work in every place. But I do know this. If it is a work of God, it will unashamedly center on the proclamation of the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. If it's a work of God, that's what will be the message. Not self-improvement, not self-help, not man exaltation. No, a work of God exalts one man, the man Christ Jesus as Lord. I also know that a genuine work of God will call men and women to repent and turn to the Christ in faith, trusting in his death and resurrection alone as their only hope of salvation. I also know that a genuine work of God will exhort those who have professed Christ to continue in devotion to the Lord, steadfast purpose, faithfulness to the Lord. He is their Lord. A work of God will exhort to continue in devotion to the Lord. And a work of God will not neglect sound teaching. It never does. The work of God will produce sound teaching because this is the mission he has sent us out to do. Make disciples by baptizing and teaching them. The work of God will continue in sound teaching whatever the Lord has commanded. Do you know what this work looks like? You know what that work that I just described looks like? It looks like you sitting here in these chairs this morning. That's what it looks like. People that heard the gospel message and responded with repentance and faith and devote yourself to the Lord through trials and through suffering, through difficulty and through temptations, through all the pleasures and comforts that this world offers you continue in faithfulness to the Lord and we come together and teach one another and exhort one another to remain faithful follow him obey his commands obey what he's given us learn his life that is the work of the Lord it's happening even now Are you excited about that? You see the work of God? It looks very much like a church. You, You want to be in the middle of what God's doing in the world? Be involved in the church. Because that's where God is working. Do you see the work of God? Do you see it? I see it. When I hear of a family enduring, suffering, enduring temptation, continuing in faithfulness to the Lord, holding on to their profession of faith, becoming more Christ-like through repentance and faith, that's the work of God. No one else could do that. What do you get excited about? What do you long to see? I too would love to see mass conversion. I would love if we, wo- if we showed up on a Sunday morning one of these days and all of Spokane Valley was at our doorstep saying, let us in, we want to know about this Savior. I would love to see that. Can God do that? He absolutely can do that. Absolutely he can do that. But, but be careful. We also need to be truly excited about the grace of God evidenced in our midst already. This is God's work. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Father, we thank you for your word, for its truth, for its reassurance. Give us a renewed heart for the work that you are already doing. Make us a people that would be dependent, wholly dependent upon your work, on your hand to do work that we cannot. Remind us throughout our week, even of the inability we have to accomplish the work and and your ability to do the work. Form in us. Form in us and make us a people of prayer. Prayer of dependence upon you. Give us patience to wait upon your hand. Give us eyes to see your grace evidenced around us. Give us joy at the sight of your grace. Make us bold to proclaim the message and to exhort those who profess to continue in faithfulness, steadfast devotion. And I pray that you would give this church and these believers that testimony of Christians. That we could be known as Christians, those who are truly Christians. We pray for this, for your glory and your name. Amen.